Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. And stop killing yourself, too. <laughs> Please. We got to add that part. Right, Chuck? Absolutely. Good. That's a good part to add. Yeah. Can you add that, Mike? Well, we can add that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have a guy that Mike and I have known most of our life. Johnny Angel's here. Johnny Angel Wendell now. I'm, I, okay. I gotta, gotta add the Wendell. Okay, Johnny that. Wendell. That's, that's fine. At Did, a certain age, you have to go back to your given Christian name. Okay, so it's not you got married to a Wendell. No, <laughs> no what, I didn't get married to uh, somebody named Wendell. What it was is that when I started in talk radio, the program director said that Johnny Angel was not a believable name for a credible host. And I didn't want to use my legal name, so I became Johnny Wendell. Wendell's my middle name, legally. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and originally you're from Boston, correct? Yes, that's right. And so you were at the... Was The Rat the first punk rock club in, in Boston? Yeah, more or less. That one and the, and the club across the, the river in Cambridge. What it was, was that It was a place called? called The Club. It was just called The Club. Uh, and there and was this one. This is 76, 77? 75, yeah. I think, 75. I, I, I think, wow. That's a Chuck. See, because Chuck is a punk rocker now oh, yeah. in the spirit of punk rock. He has a punk rock band that's very popular. What are, what All his called? friends are punk rockers. What's uh, your, Smut Peddlers. What's that? Smut Peddlers. Okay. Smut Peddlers. The Smut Peddlers. It's yeah. not my band, but I play with them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, but, I mean, the club was in, I think, I think the Ramones played there in 1975. Were the Modern Lovers playing there? I think Jonathan played there. The Modern Lovers wouldn't play loud at that point. Jonathan was <laughs> like, you got to, told Dave Robinson, you got to put like uh, towels over, over the drums. Over your amp. And I think uh, uh, Jerry may have left by then too. And he got uh, Asa Brebner and Leroy Radcliffe playing. So, so, so it, was, Jerry, it was the second, it was the second Modern so Lovers. So here's the history of punk rock right here, East Coast punk rock. So Jerry then must have gone to Long Island, down to Long Island School of Design and met David Byrne. No, How did no, that happen? No, no, that's not what happened. He was in The Modern Lovers, and I think he was an associate professor of something at, of ha art? at Harvard. At, at, art? at, at Harvard? Art? Yeah, or, or math. might have been mathematics. But I remember the first time I saw The Talking Heads was in the autumn of uh, 1976, and they were a trio. Look at Chuck. Look they at were, Chuck. Look, they, he's like he's like a student right now for your history. Well, dude, they were a, it was a trio. It was like a Tuesday night, and Jerry was in the audience, and I recognized him from the Modern Lovers, and he was just sort of taking notes. And the next time I saw them, uh, he may have joined them by then, but it was just Dave, uh, Chris playing drums, and Tina playing bass. And how did Tina and Chris meet David? Burn. Oh, they went to RISD together, Rhode they Island did. School of Design, yeah. <clears throat> See, all the punk rockers started at colleges. Lonnie Smuts started at L.A. City College. Chili Peppers started at Fairfax High School. Guns yeah. N' Roses started at Fairfax High School. Yeah, it was right. all centered around schools and friendship, right? It wasn't right. advertisements in the Music Connection magazine. That was years later. Well, I, I know that when, when I was in my first punk band, me and the singer had sort of an antagonistic relationship, a love-hate thing. But once we realized that we were on the same page as people, I said, let's put an advert in the paper and get a rhythm section and play for real. And we did. That's what you did. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of... They, everybody else was so much 
further along than we were. They were so much more <laughs> pro that we figured we've got to find people on our level who are just learning how to do this like us. And that's what we did. That's what punk. So punk in Boston was big. It never gets its just rewards. No, not really. It's because it's, it's really derivative of a lot of other stuff. It's rock and roll. It's, Boston and it's, it's punk rock is and rock and roll. Boston punk rock is rock and roll. It's, very, it's derived from uh, the kind of the last two Velvet Underground records, uh, the MC5, But even the when Dolls, you get into the 80s like and Gang Green, they're more of a rock and roll band. They're not like a punk rock band. Well, the Gang Green that you saw was a little more rock and roll, but when they started, they were hard, total hardcore. The song, they were? The songs were 38, 40 seconds long. Chris used to be my roadie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like wow. a skinhead. <laughs> they were like a total skinhead band. Well, by the time that's, I was hanging out with them, they had long hair and drinking beer yeah, and smoking yeah. weed. Yeah, that's what they did. I talked <laughs> that was to where we got our cocaine when we went to Boston. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, that cocaine later on. And you and didn't you guys like you, you got free petrol? You got free gas from the gas yeah, station. Yeah, Walter, the, the Walter God. worked. That's at. in a Thelonious Monster song. Yeah, no, I yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah. Keith told me that too. The, the Circle Jerks would play there. We, they get free petrol from Walter. There was, yeah, the, <laughs> was he the drummer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The drummer worked at a gas drummer. station. If you were a band, you could go to his gas station. He would just fill you up. That is cool. And yeah. there was a beer thing there, and you could get beer. That's what's in the Thelonious Monster song. Is going to this gas station and getting like two 12 packs of beer at like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It was nice. the greatest thing ever. Yeah, because yeah, Boston, you know, it's, it's, it has got blue laws, you know, two in the morning, that's it. There, was, there, there were some after hours clubs, but not much. We'd play some of them every so often. So you then, the, so I'm always fascinated. That's why I thought we'd talk about. We can talk about sobriety and suicide sure. and all the rest of the stuff later. Hell but yeah. music is the thing that has sustained me my whole life and i read about yeah. boston now you're gonna like this the reason i know so much about boston music is cream magazine there yeah. was a connection between cream and boston sure and aerosmith my obsession with aerosmith you loved aerosmith right huh? i loved okay. them and then that's how i heard in an article about boston rock scene in cream magazine Mention the Modern Lovers, and I got that record when I, uh, I was like seventeen, so nineteen seventy-eight with the blue heart, yeah, yeah, with yeah, the Roadrunner on it, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, and then the Sex Pistols come to America, and they're playing Roadrunner, Roadrunner, yeah. and I'm like, I'm the, I am the punk rocker of Huntington Beach. <laughs> I, I know this. everything, you know but it really was that that Cream magazine was showing you punk, what was coming, Cheap Trick. Aero, and Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. Cream was way better well, than Circus. Yeah. But, but, but Cream was unreal in that, even before that. You know, because you, you're talking like in the, in the later 70s. When I was in high school, like in 72 and 73, Cream would talk about who, what was going on at Max's. Would they talk about the Dolls uh, and uh, when the Stooges would play there, Blue Oyster Cult, Kiss, stuff like See, that. See, there was no difference between right. those four bands. <laughs> Chuck has only grown up in a either or society. Oh no! Like I it was the, all mixed together in Boston and and, 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 and New, parts New of York, New York, New York yeah. City. Because like you would read about it, what what is this group they keep talking about? This group called Television, you know? Right. And then and then like you'd send away for their record because that's the only way you would get their their first single was you had to order it you know what you, was the first single little johnny jewel oh right parts right. one and two mm -hmm. you know and i i think the first time i heard little johnny jewel like i had an orgasm or something <laughs> i just thought like this is the greatest thing in the world that and uh had you heard king crimson because the first time i heard them i said this reminds me of king crimson or can 
you know, because right. I know that like uh, Little Johnny Jewel is sort of based in a King, or Quicksilver Messenger Service. King really. Crimson. What kind of a punker listens to King Dude, Crimson? Dude, I I never was a punker. That's what I'm trying to <laughs> say to you guys. <laughs> also, you can do. I was don't just use a music. Word, that word I was punker. a music lover. It's punk rock. I was a music <laughs> lover, and but you know, and then what really happened was it kind of exploded in 78 79 and that's yeah. when we got to start seeing bands in la right. like in one week i would see you know a new wave band like the fabulous poodles and oh, the ramones and the ramones <laughs> wait why is that so funny that you played they had mirror 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 star what the, fa- <laughs> right? what, the fabulous poodles <laughs> The first time we... Put- it was all old guys that were just trying to get in on the new wave well, thing. Well, they were, here's the deal. They were managed by Yes's manager, Brian <laughs> Lane. So, so he bankrolled them to come to America. They got a deal. And the, the thing with them was, it was our first gig ever at this really posh theater called the Paradise Theater, which oh, I, I know, the first yeah, place yeah. I saw Thelonious yeah, Monster yeah. was at the Paradise with uh, Flea and uh, TSOL. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, so you know, this is a big gig for us. This is a, the the posh swank place. So we come out, and we uh, it was two shows that night. The first time we come out, we got four on cars, and they got nothing, and they were pissed. <laughs> you know, so they moved all their stuff forward and told us our set was going to be like Smaller. fifteen yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I I wigged, and I wasn't used to that sort of thing. So I sucked down like about a six pack of Beck's beer in in about ten minutes or something to get. So I could stay loaded through all this, and I fell off the stage and was awful because they were jerk offs. It's like yeah. like we're kids. That's like twenty one years old, and like these guys but are in their thirties. But those those bands that came along and kind of rode the wave, oh, they, they had jerks. nothing to do with the spirit of rock and roll. What punk rock really was was the reignition of the spirit of rock and roll. Well, it was also like people that were that had been really cool for a long time finally people were paying them their due like people like nick Lowe and, well and and uh iggy pop but Stiv was older right he, he, yeah but he was one of us was you know? he yeah he was he was a little older than i think Stiv was how old was Stiv when he died like 39 40 years old something like that yeah but he was the interesting thing about him was that he's an incredibly literate intelligent person that you could have lengthy conversations about films and art with and he wasn't this this whack job you know he was an educated tomato was like that all the punk rockers are like that there were some that were not darby was not the but but most of the people like john doe exine all the la kind of leaders they're real well read and yeah 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 and i think boston was like that then it just New York gets all its glory, but it was there was so many great bands from Boston. So the first time I go to the Rat, I'm t- I want to go see Boston. This is in '79. What the band Boston that didn't? No, than a no, feeling? just the city of Boston. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And at the at the Rat, which I knew about, I had to search there it out. Was, yeah. There was Mission of Burma, and they played "When I Reach for My Revolver," yeah. and I was like. This is a this is a spiritual experience. I've driven three thousand miles, and luckily this band is playing at the club. The only name I know in Boston. I'm going to the Rat to see the Mission Rat Burma. Skiller. It was called yeah, the, right. It was the Rat, yeah. But but if you were looking for it, if you you know, because this is pre phones and technology. 
How did I even find it? I was just going to Boston. All I know is I remember uh, Mission of Burma and our my band Thrills. We, we were headlined. They were second. That was a third band because they were just starting, you know. And we played the Rat. There were like four hundred people through the door, and none of us broke. I guarantee we were pissed. It's like you gotta be kidding, man. There's like a line all the way down to Pizza Pad. It's like where's our extra money? Oh, you got like two hundred people on the guest list. It's like fuck that shit. I don't have any money. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> and, and it was, and, I'm agitated. But it was a. But it was a. It was just the most exciting time. It was, I was a crew. It was. It was a thing. But I never stopped liking Cheap Trick or Kiss. Oh, I mean, me either. And 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 all. Then I moved to L.A. and you couldn't. You had to be one or the other. You couldn't be both. And except for KK Barrett was a, like a guy like no I like everything it's fuck people who say you can't but I wasn't really hanging out with KK I was hanging out with Anthony and Flea and they're like you can't like Kiss you can't like Kiss <laughs> you know what I mean I was like I love yeah, Kiss well, like what are you talking about you like what but you know what's really interesting is you talk about the segregation of scenes and stuff on the other hand you know you're gonna ask Keith about this. Is if you lived in a certain neighborhood in Los Angeles and you got up in the morning and you, you weren't working as people like I don't tend to work during yeah, the yeah. day, uh, and you would go to Millie's, you would sit with other musicians that played other kinds of music and you would get along just fine over your devil's mess and yeah, black yeah, yeah. coffee. Yeah, you know the segregation began at night. You know, and and that that's why I've always kind of well, lo I think loved drugs, that. You were sober way too early, John. Oh, I'm but, sorry about but, that. Maybe I should get but, fucked up to make but, up for lost but, uh, time. No, but I had it's that. It's not too late. But we had that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Me and Mike had that experience in the late '80s. There was no like there that separation that the supposedly the hair bands were right. Right. The, in drugs, they were not. The, all the Guns N' Roses guys, like, Stephen was over at my house doing drugs. Robin Crosby was Mike's best buddy, was yeah, over was. at my house. Rest so so there was, there was, but there was no segregation amongst the second generation of L.A. bands that, you know, Fishbone, Chili Peppers, Us, was a part of, and that new generation of metal bands. If you were a drug addict, you were over at my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Welcome to the jungle, indeed. <laughs> it, was like, it was Paradise <laughs> City. Well, the, and I always love telling the story. Robin was the sweetest guy, he rest was. his soul, he was and wonderful. he knew that we were making a really important album, our third album, and it was a real album with a real budget and John Doe producing it. He knew we didn't have guitars that stayed in tune or anything. Right. And he told Mike, you can use my guitars. I'll have them sent over. You just use my guitars. And with that beautiful, be uh, Stormy Weather is made on rats guitars. <laughs> yeah, some of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big Firebird. Mike playing a big Firebird. I yeah, like but, Firebirds. Yeah, but I bet they sounded good. That's all that <laughs> yeah. counts. That yeah. was a really nice gesture. I mean, yeah. It really was a beautiful time. And musicians are that camaraderie. Now, then that evolves into the musician's assistance program that helps almost everyone we know. Yeah, that's then right. that dissolves away into this big corporate thing called Music Cares. Yeah. And and everything just kind of... I just felt like our lives are wrapping up. We go on, we move on, we live this the latter part of our lives. And then this tsunami of death has swept across America. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. I just can't sit still. I just can't enjoy... You know, just be comfortable, and I just I think about it all the time. Like there were people expecting my antisocial personality disorder to walk in the door, and they were ready for me with humor, 
compassion, um, empathy. And now you have to pass it along and, yourself. But it's not happening. Not happening yet. But, it, but, but, we but the idea is, you, is, is you make the effort, though. We've got to make the effort. And you and I have talked a lot on your show. For You were nice enough to have me on your show. And I know you think about it. Like, how can we turn this thing around where it, it becomes this blessing that we all see it as? Well, one thing that we have to understand is that you know, I'm. I think I'm a little older than you and Mike. I don't know like how old four, you are. I'm born in '61. You born? Okay, so I'm five years older. So than you're you. the same age as Keith. Yeah, yeah. Right. Keith's a year older than me. Yeah. yeah. And when Keith and I were in high school, you're talking about sort of the end of the hippie counterculture. So there was a lot of drugs in our schools in in Wellesley, Mass, and uh, Keith is in the, is, is South Bay. Yeah. yeah. And. Angel dust. Keith angel, used to smoke, yeah, smoke yeah, angel dust. So did I. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> you know? I mean, and you take it, too. And, and, it, you, and they're it's like a, 13 and smoking angel dust. They, they would they tell, they tell you, like, oh, it's THC. It's like the active ingredient in marijuana in a pill, <laughs> right? But it was, it, was, it was an elephant tranquilizer or yeah. some shit like that that they stole from the zoo. You know? I mean, we used to have a joke at our school. The lewds would come in in the morning and the ambulances would come in in the afternoon. You would see kids drop their books and collapse in the hall when I was 16 years old. But, Bob, you look at statistics from back then, 6,000 overdoses a year. It's 10 times that now. I know. Yeah, right. there are more people yeah, in America. When Bob, when Bob says tsunami, it is a tsunami. It's it's horrible. And, and, it's, and it's ravaging communities in, in yeah, the upper Midwest. In, yeah, well, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, in South Boston, too. In South Boston, I had a client. Luckily enough, he got sober. It's been He's been an advocate there for years. And he's my you know information on the streets in south boston they're finding sometimes three dead people in one park in south boston sure. on a saturday night yeah that's craziness no and you're talking about one of the most affluent gentrified cities in the united states i couldn't live in boston now you know, it's like I, I couldn't afford it. Not like I would want to, but I mean, I, I couldn't <laughs> afford it if I did want to. Oh, no, no, I've got, you know, uh, I may be a mass hole in my soul, but I'm a Californian now, you know. Yeah, that's what happens. All <laughs> it does, it does. But I, I got to tell you, you know, it can get you down, it can grind you down, it can exhaust you. I would assume that our counterparts in southern New Hampshire or in New Bedford, Massachusetts, or in uh, the middle of the state of Connecticut or Pennsylvania in the Northeast. It just must what, be in so West, in the, the Ohio River Valley, which is a, a nightmare. Well, I told you, the two centers of the most death are Huntington, West, West Virginia, Virginia and this Lakeside, Ohio. Yeah, that's the Ohio huh. River Valley, right? Yeah, it's yeah. fucking crazy. Like, the highest death rate uh, in history of mankind. That's no, a per capita thing, right? That's yeah. not a yeah. And no, it's just it's uh, I. Can so, I go out on a limb here? Yeah, though? yeah. I think I don't want to get political. I don't want to veer it into like a anti hopelessness and helplessness. Yeah, the anti Donald Trump thing. I just, it, it's not pertinent. But I think oh, you that, just did. I, <laughs> Well, I don't want to say that you're a pedophile, you child molester, but I don't want to talk about pedophilia there, Chester Short Eyes. No, it's like, it's like, I think that America, I know this is like a, like a vague rhetorical way of looking at it, there's a, a certain level of emotional and spiritual bankruptcy in, in our country. There is. You know? And I don't think Trump, I think Trump is the, is the, 
is one of the red flag warnings of what's to come if we don't correct this course. And I think it starts with just compassion in your community. And I don't care what your politics are anymore. I don't care. My I love my father-in-law. He's like become a second father to me or a father I never had. He's, he's a Trumper. Yeah. We, can, we can have love and compassion for one another and just steer clear. Sure. But people aren't willing to do that anymore because of this. Mm, that's, that's the I'm problem. Right. With this, I'm with, right. With this which side are you on well, thing. The idea it's like, well, I want to be on this side of the ground, okay? <laughs> <laughs> can we start with yeah. that? Right. That's but, what I care about. But I just think that... that Young people just need some place to go where they feel a part of. And and I just think this don't die thing could grow into something. Just real simple. No rules. You just, once a week, you know, you have an all-sharing meeting of don't die. And most of the people that are going to be in it that are that are kind of the elders will, have, will be active, yeah. involved in 12 steps. But they're there as this bridge to to the, I don't know. I just think something has to be done because it's, you well, know, it has to have one rule, and that is don't die. Right. Well, you know, if you make it a rule, you make it a rule, kids are not going to, they're not going like to say, the, fuck you, watch this. Like the plaque on the wall could just say rule number one, don't, don't die. die. That's yeah, it. That's it, you know. You know, because we're on the front lines. Chuck works at, in Huntington Beach out of rehab. I work in Malibu to rehab. I mean, I just had a long-term client that, I've been working with for years die about 10 days ago and I, even I was shocked like that's that guy knows how to use drugs and he and I had deep conversations about the fentanyl and the dope right like he was mm. well aware yeah they well know. aware and that's been floating around for ages with fentanyl killed my uh, weightlifting partner Eddie Little back in 2000 oh really yeah Right, but, but but the patches. He was sucking on the patches or something? The, the uh, lollipops. Oh, lollipops. Yeah. Eddie Little. Two hundred. He had 250 I of remember those. Eddie Little. Oh, I know Eddie Little very well. Yeah. I know Mel. Mel is yeah. the character he based the uh, the Another Day in Paradise. Right, right, right. Mel was a... I worked at a messenger company where Mel worked. Did <laughs> yeah. you know Mel? I knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. he was a character. They. He might still be alive. This guy was... It, that that's see that like i was coming into sobriety and trying to figure life out and there was people like mel and gloria scott and like interesting oh, people yeah, she was and wonderful. there are people i respected like you were there and mike was there and i res you know i know mike i can trust it and you were there and i respect you and peter peter was there and a lot of people that i Ben, Ma, a lot of people that I looked up to and admired were there. I don't think these millennials think that we're people you look up to or no, admire. No, they don't. But they don't have to. But but something you know. has to be appealing to them. Like I like I was going to sort my way through it. I still don't like a lot of it, but I sorted my way through it because I, you know, you just talk to this guy Mel for like five minutes. It was like talking to a spiritual teacher on Earth. This unassuming little weird guy. His name was Mel. He's the, yeah. he's unassuming the character. Little weird guy. <laughs> and so I worked as a messenger. And when it was raining, we didn't have a lot of work because productions would shut down. Sure. This is before emails and 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 faxes. Like so and we were all sitting there in the office and I was pissed and I hadn't made a lot of money that week and I got a kid and I got rent and due and Mel's in a good mood and talking like ah, da, 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 da. and I said, Mel, you know, enough of your fucking shtick. 
Like some of us have to, you know, families to take care of and, and don't have this carefully life that you do. And he said, oh, Bobby, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And he sat down and he goes, you know, we just never sit and talk like this and we have to make the best of it. Of course, I'd like to be out there making money and of course you would, but you'll get through it. And, and he offered to loan me $100 if, yeah. because I was making like maybe 600 bucks a week. So I was out for one day's work, maybe a hundred yeah, bucks. He offered right then to give me a hundred yeah, bucks. Yeah, make up the difference. But, and that, they just, we need to remember people like that. They were the inspirations. The guy was sober for years, went to San Quentin, and he was proud because he didn't have any tattoos. <laughs> That's an accomplishment. Yeah, to and get to go. I, go I'm going to go a little bit, I'm going to go a little bit forward and say that, you know, that, that maybe this millennial generation just needs to, find leaders you know they need to like germinate do the drugs have some leaders that follow that people other people can follow in yeah there are some kids there's some kids that that are working in treatment right now old clients of mine they're real fun kids and a lot of them are antisocial and you know some of them come from fish world <laughs> you know the oh yeah, yeah you know the fish world really caught up not that hippie thing that the dead was. There's a lot of antisocial kind of criminal types in that world. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they... Leak. Really? You know, because fish... It was bad enough that I didn't like the band. Now, <laughs> now, 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 you don't now like... that they attract sociopaths. <laughs> well, now I might have to listen, and I don't want to. <laughs> no, but... Uh, and they respect... They know that I've listened to fish, because there are a lot of fishers out there, yeah, believe know, it or not. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And they're like in their that late... so they're in their late, they're, they're late 20s, late... In early 30s, and like I say, well, you know, one because when you get to talking about music, it is one thing that you can, it's universal. Everybody music. likes music, right? Yeah. So I talk a lot of music stuff with kids. And they, and this kid's that, you know, it's, it's like in your day, the dead. And I said, well, but the dead played beautiful songs that had beautiful lyrics or traditional songs or Dylan songs. Yeah. Songs about a person's head being too big and all the funny stuff sure, like that Trey sure. writes. <laughs> I'm not, I don't understand. What do you find appealing about that? And he goes, I don't listen to the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I just like 19-minute jams. <laughs> yeah, right. I draw the line at King Crimson, Phil Collins, and uh, The Grateful Dead. I just listen oh, to guitar no. playing and King Crimson. But, but, uh, oh, and it, and that, is, that says something about millennials. They don't really care what's being said. No, they don't. I mean, if they did, they'd listen to hip-hop, which is all words. But so go they, figure. They, I, th I, th <laughs> I think one of the issues, though, is that when I was a kid, when I moved into the city when I was 20, and whenever you moved into Los Angeles, um, it seemed like there were, uh, there were more opportunities that you could live on the fringe of society and theoretically sustain right. yourself. I don't know as you can do that now. I mean, I know that... I mean, it, what's hilarious is... And I'm doing it this weekend too. Is I, I go out to Joshua Tree and play about every five or six weeks out there at the saloon. Yeah, and Happy and Harriet's or where? No, at, no, uh, at, at Joshua, Joshua Tree, Tree Saloon. Oh. Right. saloon. right. So with Ted's thing, is it Ted's night or something? No, Teddy always comes by, but he does no. an open mic night. Yeah, he's, he does a beatnik cafe. Yeah. Yeah. No, he does. No, the, he does the beatnik is a couple of blocks away. He does the Joshua Tree Saloon now. Yeah. Oh, cool. But, Be but Beatnik is gone. No, the Beatnik's there. I thought it's a Red Arrow Gallery now. No, it's it's an art gallery, but it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was at the Beatnik last time I was there. There were openings and stuff. But it's hilarious. You go out there, I'll play the saloon, and I'll see Teddy, and I'll see um, Casey Nicoli and Nicoli and... Uh, 
other people from Hollywood from the Johnny 90s. Vargas is and out Johnny, there, and Johnny, of course, comes by if you can get him. You know that he's house. the guy that the joke song from Thelonious Monster is about. What about Johnny? There, Mike. Do you know that? I didn't. So, so there's a song called the joke song on the first Thelonious Monster record. I'm sure you've never heard it. It's called the joke song, and it's just a joke about working in the circus and well, show I've business. Well, I've heard it. Yeah, you played <laughs> on it, Michael. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I think. How's it going? I remember but, that. But the joke song is because I always called Johnny Circus Vargas. Oh, because of Circus. Yeah, Vargas. that's that, not what we called him. We called him Hoppy. Well, oh, because of, because he hops as he walks. But he, he was is a the funny, bartender yeah. at Bordner's. <laughs> yeah, but then he became the booker at the Gaslight. Yeah, he, yeah. he booked me. I played the Gaslight uh, like for a year and a half every two weeks. I loved playing there. Loved seeing him and Teddy. Durf was the sound person. Oh course. my God, yeah. he taught me how to play guitar. Durf was unreal. I have a great. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we don't speak ill of those of the, the dead. Yeah, of the dead. We're, we're, we're playing the Gaslight on a Saturday. Saturday night, right? Durf comes up to me. He's absolutely shit-faced as per usual. And he says, Johnny, there's this girl here. I think she likes me. I want to impress her. And I said, so? And he says, uh, so can I get up and do some songs with you guys? He thought if he acted you know, like Mick Jagger. Do Fear songs? Yeah. So I said, I said, okay. He was well, a bass player yeah, of Fear. Fear and he got oh, kicked out. Oh, so you out. know who it is. Well, yeah, it's Durf, Durf Scratch. Scratch. Yeah, yeah. Durf. So I said, okay, Durf. And I looked, told the guys, I said, Durf wants to play some songs. They're like, sure. I said, we know, we can do I Love Living in the City and the other one. Well, I don't care about you. I don't fuck care you. about you. Fuck yeah, you. One. So I said, okay, we'll do those because we knew him from yeah. the movie, you know. Yeah. And um, we get a bang, bang, da 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 da, two, three, four, you know, I'm from. So we're going, I, I don't care about you, fuck you. Durf stands there, freezes. Doesn't know the words? Completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of like pushed him out of the way gingerly. I'm from South Street, Philadelphia. I'm from Avenue C. I've seen FDI's <laughs> waiting to freeze. I'm from the Bowery, too. I don't care about you. So I remembered it. So I go, let's do the next one, I guess. You know, so we did. I love living in the city. Didn't know that one either. And he knows he's just, the chorus, doesn't he? Kind of, but he was sort of <laughs> singing off mic because he was so out of it. See, that's what I was saying. It wasn't his guitar playing. It was his ability to teach somebody the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I well, let me tell this wow, story. Wow, recidivist a history. A lot of people put down my guitar playing. I don't want to learn how, but Durf, uh, Durf and I became, I was like everybody's little brother when I came to town, like in 79, 80 right so Durf took me under his wing and i would go to his apartment behind gil turner's right and just hang out during the day you imagine trying to afford that place now oh my god it'd be <laughs> like three he lived in an apartment right on sunset strip right right above gil right, turner yeah nice and yeah. and i the roxy and so we were doing a lot of speed then he was into speed and i'll do whatever drug anybody in fear does <laughs> why not why not <laughs> so and we were on one 20 hour tweak session he taught me how to play d c and g Right Leonard and Skinner just chords, yeah. yeah, and well, they're also the Sammy Hagar chords. Right. They're the chords <laughs> all the or the, the cult, all yeah. the cult songs. Yeah, that and so and so and when it got to that point eighty nine where everybody's becoming musicians, I had other people out ahead of me. Jeffrey, who I idolized, Jeffrey was out yeah. ahead of me. Yeah. Steve Wynn was out ahead of me. John Doe was out ahead of me, and they were becoming better musicians. And I didn't think that was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? Oh, so I man. just stuck with being an amateur that then Mike or Josh or, or Pete or Dix or somebody can figure it out. Mike, who was the guy that was <laughs> was the second bass player in the gun club, replaced the first one? He was in the DBs, I think. Oh, right. Uh, right. Oh, right. Peter Holzapple, was he the bass player? Was no, he, he was a guitar player. Because um, I was going to be the second bass player in the gun club. I was drinking with Jeffrey in New York and whoever the bass player was. Rob, what, what, Rob. Rob Ritter. Yeah. Didn't want to do it anymore. You know, and he says, okay, you play the bass. Well, You're going to be our Ward. next bass player. Neither did Ward. So there was either. no Ward and there was no Rob. And Jeffrey's going to be a guitar player. And Jeffrey's going to play and he's trying to field this new band in New York and the guy from the DB's got the gig. And, but did Je then Kid Congra got in it too? Right? Yeah, Kid was a little bit later. Yeah, and and then uh, you ever heard the Gun Club Fire yes. of Love? Yes, I always check because he's a baby. Chuck is a baby. He's I, like, I he's he's like in record. his forties. He's like in his forties. I'm, I'm fifty. I'm gonna be fifty-one soon. I'm fifty <laughs> and in three quarters. <laughs> Chuck was just not in a whole bunch of bands early, early on, like we were. That's all. Yeah, it was, it was, we, we cool. played. We played with the Gun Club in '84 at the Rat. It was the Gun Club. The Del Fuegos were second, and the Blackjacks were third. And um, Gun Club gets off stage, and there are the people yelling and screaming for them to come back. But Kid's got a busted guitar string, and he can't can't find a spare. And he goes, "Well, this is the can." I said, "You can use mine. I don't mind." He goes. He goes, well, he gets all serious and scholarly and looks at me. He goes, yeah, but my guitar's tuned to an open chord. And I said, which one? And he said, E. So I stuck the guitar next to my ear and I tuned it to E and I handed it to him. Ring, perfect E chord. And he looked at me in amazement. Like you could do that. Like, how'd you do that? And I, I said, dude, it's in. Well, I didn't say dude then. Hey, man. Well, he <laughs> stayed He stayed that pure kind yeah, of innocent, but could, Jeffrey could. Be, wanted to be Jimi Hendrix. So then fast forward, Thelonious Monster's on tour in England in 92. Jeffrey comes to the first show. Mike's out of the band for drugs by then. Yeah. Mike, Jeffrey comes, and I see that he's got his guitar, and we're like playing pretty good. I was sober at the time. We're like getting it to back together again, right? And Jeffrey's got his guitar, and and I'm just like, oh, and he goes, I want, you know, let's play some, so I'll jam, I want to jam. And I'm like, okay, do, do, um, Yellow Eyes, I love that song, and we know how to play it. Do Yellow Eyes and then see them at my grave. Right. At the end, right? The blind jam he just, Jefferson You song. know, Thelonious yeah. Monster had no yeah. rules. As soon as we walk out, like, second song, he just comes up and plugs in <laughs> and starts playing, ruining the whole set. Beautiful. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and then, then we're, like, happy to drive him to the train. He goes, I got nothing to do, or I just come on the road with you. Because <laughs> like, Thelonious Monster was like that. It didn't, didn't really, there was no rules. Maybe there should be some rules to don't die. Yeah, I'm thinking there should <laughs> be a he, couple. Because <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out for Thelonious. <laughs> and it didn't work out for Jeffrey either for that. Well, you know, with no with no outline, with no kind of sketch of, of an idea, it leads it lead to infighting. But we'll see. We'll see. But I, but I mean, you got any questions you want for punk rock historian, Johnny Angel Wendell? No, but I love the idea that you were there with the, the formation of Talking Heads are one of my long time. Oh, they were so good. And the weird thing was, I remember the gig like it was yesterday, you know? It was like a 42 years ago. It was special magnetic well, kind of he, thing. Well, after every single song, he'd go, thank you, like in that falsetto. <laughs> and we saw the talking heads uh, at the... Was his thing a sh David Lynch stick, or was that really No, him? it's the way he is. I, I think it probably a today... Little, uh, on the spectrum? He'd be on the spectrum, right. yeah. But... Um, 
we went to see the Talking Heads. They were in the middle of the Ramones headline. The Talking Heads were second. Eddie and the Hot Rods were third at the Orpheum Theater. And we were in the front row. We're in the front because we got there like at you know, six in the morning to get front row seats, you know. And so me and my singer, Barbara Kitson, rest in peace, and uh, my younger brother, Barry, were in, were in the front row. Eddie and the Hot Rods were great. They just came out rocked. Great pub rock. Suicide band. picture on the cover. <laughs> Speak of suicide. Right, right, right. Have you ever heard the, seen the first album cover? Teenage it's a Depression. Guy hanging himself. Teenage nice. Depression, yeah. Yeah. Well, they were good. The Talking Heads come out and they're doing their, their thing, and my brother just didn't Hate, like them at all. Hated them, yeah. Hated them. So he stands up and he's he's a tall kid and he looks right up at David Byrne. He's only a few feet away from him. And he goes, Hey, you. Get off the stage. Ramones, Ramones, Ramones. <laughs> and Byrne like, looks down at them. There are 2,500 people in the theater. And he goes, the Ramones will be up in a minute. Just be patient. <laughs> <laughs> and then my brother became this huge Talking Heads fan anyway. You know, and, but my brother wore a Ramones t-shirt to uh, Wellesley High School in 1977. And the shit that you would get, like yeah. them, why they're, they're a bunch of this and they're a bunch of that. Prostitutes. Yeah. I, was, I was told they were prostitutes. I don't know how that trickled down to Huntington Beach Marina High School. Because of 53rd and 3rd. 53rd and 3rd, yeah. Well, then that meant that the people who hated the Ramones were listening to their music more than I was who had their shirt. Because you didn't know. I don't know. One of our greatest gigs was playing with the Ramones. Remember that, Rob? Which one was this? We, Bob, with Thelonious Monster. Yeah, played we played, uh, we opened their the whole. Greek? Yeah, think no, it was that John Edson Ford, like John three Ford. nights in a row, and then we opened in Orange County, too. But but the Ramones were just like a machine. Like yeah, after yeah. Dee left, they just became a machine. Well, with the the kid bass player. Yeah. It was really weird because when it we were. It wasn't the Ramones that I saw at the Cuckoo's Nest. The Ramones I saw at the Cuckoo's Nest were a rock and roll band that was fucking fierce and crazy yeah and who I, saw who saw the last gig at the at the palladium at the hollywood palace the palace i didn't yeah uh, i was there i i saw i saw it with you know but you're talking about tommy and Dee. Dee. that was yeah, like that i was saw like, them with tommy they just, many times it, yeah they weren't what mark and and the kid bass CJ, player right CJ, yeah they they could play they real were good, fast and they the, were good they tommy were could play that fast <laughs> but the thing is tommy invented the style you know it, but it he was, didn't it was it was really weird is that like when we would play with the ramones my there first was swing per- there was swing to tommy's playing well, that little, there was not to mark no no play. they weren't they weren't as much fun when the, they when didn't they got sound marked. like they the Ronettes. Good. They sounded like the Ronettes, kind of. There was little parts where the they Beach did needles Boys. and pins, yeah. right? And that was my favorite song, yeah. and I Want to Be Your Boyfriend. Yeah. Those had swing to them. When you go to the what people typically know as the Ramones machine that just tours from 81 till they die, right. is that's a, that's a different sounding band than the one I saw. It was a road band. Right. Yeah, well, when we would play with them in Boston, we were regarded as sort of their, you know, AAA uh, minor league version of them. So the audience was pretty nice to us. But I remember we played with them in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and we come out, we do three songs, we stop, thank you, hey, ho, let's go. Right. The audience, hey, ho. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck you, you are not making me leave. It's like, it's like oh, you ch- there's a challenge. Is right. it? It's like, okay. You know, Everybody so, learns how to survive those opening slots. But I just, I turned to the others and I said, 
double time everything and we don't stop from here on is and the audience could sense that we were doing it they got angrier and they started grabbing at us to pull us off the stage and we were hitting them and you throwing shit at them you were a journalist for years weren't you a rock and yeah, roll journalist yeah, right so you so i always think like and probably in that time that i'm talking about late late 90s or early 2000s were you writing then i think that's when i started becoming a talk radio host. Oh, okay yeah so so it's kind of notorious that the most desired, one of the most desired opening slots is opening the Chili Peppers World Tour, right? Because you get the whole tour. Whatever two bands they sign up for, do the whole thing. Like, okay. And it goes on for a year and a half, right? Which you did. Which we did. But other bands had had our slot, like the Mars Volta, Red, Blonde Redhead, yeah. and had, after a few months, just said, oh, we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Because the crowd is so brutal. They're, yeah, they suck. They, 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 they're, <laughs> they're horrible. But so we were having trouble. Yeah, the, the lights go up, and as soon as they figure out Just, that you're not, you're not the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, it's like, fuck the you. Start. Well, no, like chains fly and shit, like hard stuff flies, right? <laughs> so I'm doing my regular thing where we play like two songs and I, you know, need to catch my breath or say something political or something. And Flea's standing by the side of the stage, and just we're getting showered at the Cow Palace, just like yeah. shit thrown at us. And I'm looking at Flea like, you could walk out here and stop this. And he's just cracking up. Why would I do that? So then I go to him kind of angry afterwards, like, dude, you could have just walked out there and stopped that. And he goes, Bobby, I can't, you got to figure out how you're going to do this. You talk too much. They can't. And he said, this they is, can't understand what you're saying anyway. This is a basketball arena. They can't understand what you're saying anyways. And he said, if you want my advice, don't stop playing. Yes, keep yeah. going. So, so what we did was we built a set where the song really didn't end. It would, it would be ending, 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 and then the new one would start. Right. And there was no talking. We played 27 minutes out of a 25-minute set, and, and it was over, and we walked off, and people started liking us. It was crazy. Well, the just, weird thing is I did this gig in New Jersey at the end. They were trying to kill us. As soon as we, we had to the dressing room. stop. The dressing room, we had to go through them to get to the dressing room. And Dee Dee, <laughs> Dee, Dee was pissing and moaning. He goes, uh, I can't remember his voice anymore. It's been so long since I talked to him. Hey, but, these guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I really hate playing this place, Johnny. And I'm like, well, now I sound like Patty Smith. But he's like, <laughs> and he says, uh, and I said, why? And he goes like, oh, everybody pats you on the back and calls you brother. I'm not these people's brother. <laughs> <laughs> he was fucking awesome. He's he such a that. nutcase. He tried to kill me once, took him, pulled a knife on me and stuff. And I'm looking at him like, what's, he goes, you know, I, your attitude, man. And I, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, you're going to kill me. But he was, what, he got sober here now. He tried. He tried. He came I, and he went. You know, but for, for months, I mean, he was not strung out. <coughs> no, but he decided to experiment one final time, and it killed him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, and but the thing is, is when we were going through the audience to get to the dressing room to to be with the with the Ramones and stuff, everyone's patting us on the back. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. Inger was at that gig. Oh, Inger really? Laurie, and she said, "I remember you guys." She goes, "You guys had balls of steel. It's like you wouldn't leave." And I'm like, "We didn't care." You know, it's like you think that you're going to. I remember we opened, uh, same band opened for you two a year or two before that or something, and the audience just didn't like us. And, you know, and I thought, 
you motherfuckers, I was in the van for seven and a half hours driving from Boston to Philadelphia. It's fucking cold. I, I pissed off at my band. The drummer's smoking weed and we're not playing fast enough. If you think I'm going to let you stupid Pennsylvania motherfuckers <laughs> determine what I'm going to do, you crazy. So I figured out how much leeway I had in my cable, you know, jumped off the stage and it was this place called the Bijou Theater. And they had popcorn on all the tables. Just started kicking all the tables over and daring them. Like, were well, you pissed at me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fuck with See me. See what I, you're going to do. You know, like I got my guitar. After the set, people are like, well, you know, your band is awful. You guys suck. <laughs> no, but you're great. You know, you should get rid of that. Because <laughs> they were all paralyzed with fear. And I just like, I, I'm not going to be paralyzed by fear. I was, we played with the cars in this big arena. This is the That's same thing. Boston. Wow. That's another Boston band yeah. that... That was a great band, and then Rick went on to produce Bad Brains and Weezer. He produced yeah. Weezer. Oh, and Weezer too. Yeah, he produced Weezer. He produced the Bad Brains. Uh, well, that's why Weezer sounds so good. His production is on point. Well, supposedly they had to con him into letting them play the guitars as loud as they did on the the Blue record with uh, "Say It Isn't So" on it. Mm. Like they had to say to him, "No, we say want it, we it want, ain't we, so. We, we want it to be louder or whatever." But the audience was just like. They just weren't do, and I looked over, and the bass player in that band was Merle Allen, Gigi Allen's older brother, right? <laughs> really? Gigi had been our drummer for about a month and a half, yeah. But he's is just he a, from Boston? No, they're from St. Johnsbury, Vermont. Vermont? You know? Yeah, they're from Vermont. Yeah. And Merle moved down. He lived with me for a little while, then he got his own place. And Kevin wouldn't come down. He's and been we, in Long Beach for a while. Well, no. uh, yeah, Merle lives down there. It's weird, you know. He and I have known each other over forty years. How uh, great is their we, version? We we how don't. great is their version of of the Warren Zevon song? Or the Carmelita? Junk, yeah, so I great. I don't like it much. Why? Because I, I the only version I like is Warren's. I don't like Linda Ronstadt's version either. I don't like hmm. Dwight Yoakam's version. I just I just like Warren's version is it, you know. And also, you know, he, I. Live by the Pioneer Chicken Stand, so I, I, I you know, <laughs> it's not a Pioneer Chicken Stand oh, anymore. Oh, it's long gone. It's what is it, the it's drug a store? Hair, it's a hair salon. You know, and that Pioneer Chicken Stand wasn't even on Alvarado Street. I just no, it's on, see, it's I, on it's Echo, Echo Park, Park Boulevard. Boulevard. I, I used to be furious every time I heard that. <laughs> but then I found out that's the greatest junkie song. One of the greatest junkie songs sure ever. Is. And I never understood, and you probably talked to him. Is it inspired by John Fonte? Because because there's a similar Similarity to the the character in Ask the Dust, the girl in Ask the Dust, and this description of this girl. It could very well be. He had to have read Ask the Dust. But what's really funny is that the Pioneer Chicken Stand wasn't his jam. His place was Burrito King. Oh, yeah, I that's Alvarado. Found, yeah, well, it's Alvarado and Sunset, and it's still there, and people from out of town will still write me, and they go, is Burrito King still there? And is, you know, is it still the shizzle? And I'm like, I guess. You know, it's one of these things that's down the people street. People say shizzle? I do. <laughs> <laughs> is that a problem? <laughs> it could be. I lived, I lived, okay, I lived, we, we got to settle this. Okay, this is over. <laughs> I lived up Echo Park Boulevard, and now it's just so funny because it, it's so nice. It's so different. So, in 1980, after I'd made my try to move to New York and make, you know, make it as a stand up comedian, a lot of people don't know that. That's what I did. That's why I had time to go to Boston and, and go. I went to. Were you I funny? Went, I drove across country to be a comedian to go to New York and be a stand-up, though I knew nothing about stand-up. And I went everywhere I'd read about. So I went to 
you know, Graceland. I went to Loretta Lynn's house in front of her gates and I was sleeping in my car and her husband, whatever his name was, came out and said, are you okay? And I was like, because this is before fandom like that, before before well, you were like an apple scruff yeah like yeah. this is 1970 <laughs> it's 1979 well, and they slept in front of the beatles man kids but they did people didn't sleep in front of loretta well, lynn's but they did in front of graceland all the time you know yeah. elvis had to send his people you got to leave you know? right because we don't like jerry lee shooting up the house but we this don't is want before that. the the <laughs> the thing across the street is there and all that yeah. so i went to all this stuff i got into sun into uh what's his name the producer he had a new studio sam phillips sam phillips studios yeah. and the cramps were recording there yeah when i right. was there so I, was the and I got into the building like they thought i was with the cramps so then i was like <laughs> whoa okay so so i you know i i failed miserably i lived in new york for like three months i couldn't make it i came back to la and i lived in echo park with the hansen brothers chris and mitch yeah. at the top of and literally you couldn't. You didn't grocery shop in Echo Park in 1980. You no went on to, to the freeway and you went to Hollywood Rock and Roll Ralphs. Yeah, that you you didn't stop your car. That's how scary it was. Well, all were well, the only places that you could get. Uh, you could go food. to House of Liquor because it was really brightly lit. Yeah, whatever that know, liquor and, store. But is. remember, all of the markets up until I don't know, like 1990 or something like that, were all uh, they were all Latin or they were all Asian. Most of the little area. ones were closed, but you yeah. could go to Pioneer Market, which was Pioneer Chicken and right. Pioneer and Market. Next to but it. you yeah. didn't dare go in there at 11, 10 o'clock at night. It was just too much to get from your car in there, and something bad could happen. This is when all the gang activity of LA really was in its prime. Like, right around. Right? I, I remember when I moved here, like people would say, I said, Welcome to the Jungle Song by Guns N' Roses. What's it about? And they said, Well, or where is where are they talking about? And they said, This corner of uh, Yucca and Wilcox. That's yeah, the yeah. jungle, right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I got to see this, you know. It's, an, it's typical stupid mass hole attitude. I'm going to go see this myself, you know. And, and I'm like, good Lord. This is like depravity yeah. on, a, on, on a stick. <laughs> but you go down there now, and it's like the, the government so completely cleaned it out. I know. Out. Well, it's what insane. I'm trying to say is people say now is the worst of times. I'm like, hell I no. In, I lived in Hollywood when there was open prostitution on the streets, homeless people shitting, junkies shooting up, and gangs shooting everybody. Yeah. It's, this is not the worst time ever. No, And people need not. to listen to their elders to put things into context. What, you know, we got some problems. We've got some soul problems. We've got That's a soul I sickness. That. I believe we that. We don't have the problems that all the liberals are pointing at. They, they're really much better than they used to be, Right. You have almost mm. zero unemployment if you put how many jobs are open that we don't have qualified candidates for. We're at zero. We're at ground zero. But also remember that what's really peculiar about America is that there are more jobs than there are people that can fill them. But America has the lowest labor participation rate in the West, 62.8%. That means over a third of the country that could work won't. I know. Okay. Choose not to. They Absolutely. choose not to. And the re- and what people don't understand, people, well, it's well, laziness. Get, it's know. not laziness, Bob. You know what it is? It's this. I can make a mental calculation and say, I can go get a job and make $22 an hour, but I'm going to have to get somebody to watch my children for 30 an exactly. hour, so I lose. Yes, You know, exactly. well, I've got to watch my mom, or i got to watch my, my grandma, my abuela, you know? It's like... It's not. Well, that's the it's breakdown of the 
family, though. That's it's not just the, the breakdown of no, the family. Because, it's the idea that that wealth stays at the top and it never comes down. But my sister had a kid yeah. and was went through a divorce, and you know, my mom looked after the kid. People don't have family systems to help them well, to mom, really my, help. My mom's them. eighty-five and demented. She ain't gonna help me. No, now. But, but you know what I'm <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Family systems are are breaking down, and then you add what's going on in the Rust Belt, where both parents are dead and the grandparents are raising the offspring of the opiate out of the death. dead junkies. It's mm-hmm. crazy. And and I'll I'll add you another one. So I had. Elvis and he's so important and whatever and it, he, we, it was such a joy to have and he has bug and just our kids are such a joy right and then I felt like oh should we have another kid no like we should take a kid from LA that's not going to have opportunity and and do some good just in my town do you right. know how hard it is to adopt a child in los angeles county very it's impossible i'm married to so, a birth nurse i'm aware. okay so they mm. they you have to first become a licensed foster child, parent right they have to come out and expect inspect your house now you understand i have this house in laurel canyon elvis is living there he's two years old he's living in the house they said the house was unsafe for a child to live in. And I was standing there with the fucking kid right there. He's living here. He's my own flesh and He's blood. He's barely damaged. <laughs> Look yeah. at him. So so what yeah. I think Trump is represents is let's smash down let's all the everything. destroy everything right. because of that. And because of cable, I believe it has a lot to do with all the bureaucracy, both in government and in business. That, that you just have to sign a cable contract and you owe four hundred and eighty dollars if you don't yeah, want but, but even all the minutia of, of bullshit. I understand he that, but all of that burn it all down. Right. Which is which is really appealing. People have a certain part of their psyche that says, I want a great big powerful messiah figure to come out of the sky, destroy everything and rebuild it into Valhalla. You know, but but the thing thing, thing is, is it does Reagan, not work. But that that's way. but I give examples. That's what Reagan was, that's what Obama was, and nothing it, it just gets worse all the time. No, but, but they, they keep just, buy, but they keep just, buying that illusion though, that it will happen. That'll be the next one. I think. I think people really thought that Obama was going to be a great big change. He he, he was in some ways, and he wasn't. In no, others. I'm starting to agree with him. If you read some of the stuff that his his clothes, it's getting leaked out because you know how politics right. work. He's thinking, and he has real questions of whether he should have even run for president. Right, he's saying that. He's now. saying that now. Yeah, that it was too early, and it's caused all this division and hate. I think that's what a narcissist would think. I think he wasn't a very good president. I don't think he got a lot done. He got the worst health care bill in the history. But it was better than what came before it. No, if you wanted to help the poor, here's what they did. I work in health care. Here's what they did. They made your and I's health care as employed people that have good health care insurance worse, right? Yeah. They made it worse. Right. And in order to cover the people that didn't have health care and to add to Medicaid, all he had to do was say, we're going to make Medicaid what Medicare is. Or make That's me- all he had or to do. Or three magic words, Medicare for all, thank you, good night. Drop well, the mic. Yeah, but, but what he did was he gave it to the insurance industry, to Big Pharma, and it's a mishigosh mess. I had better health insurance before Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre-existing illnesses mean nothing. That that rule being removed means nothing. Well, it certainly doesn't help anybody. It doesn't. They just charge more for what you need. 
for me to get Harvoni was eight thousand dollar deductible. How is insuring somebody with hepatitis C? How are you feeling? I feel good now. Okay. I got it. Okay. He's saying wrap it <laughs> Wait, up. But then, just then, as Harvoni cured me of hepat- a deadly <laughs> disease, Mike says wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then I have to ask since I've got you here, and I ne- these guys have you all the time. He knows everything about everything. Please, please kill me. The book by Legs McNeil. Yeah, what about? Oh, he's getting back to punk rock. We were just going to solve healthcare problems. <laughs> oh, Chuck. no, no oh, right. sure. <laughs> Actually, you can solve healthcare problems. Medicare for everybody. Medicare for everyone. Just expand it to everybody. Make it single payer. Was that book good? Was it was it accurate? Well, seventy five percent of it existed before legs cribbed it together. A lot of that stuff was floating around. Um, I don't like legs. Uh, (laughs) You're a breast man. I'm an ass man. I don't. I don't like. No, I don't like legs. We did. You ever talk to Iris? Yeah, yeah. I okay, Iris. Iris was on this job too. We did this job for this magazine. We did we created the Manson thing. The Manson I was thing. there. Max did the costumes. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Max yeah. was wardrobe, yeah. right? And I and, and Jimmy Zero and I yeah, were yeah. the cops. Jimmy yeah. from the Dead Boys and me. And and legs was and Maynard was Manson. Yeah, right, right. You ever Ma- seen this? Mm-mm. Oh, it's awesome! Oh, it's the greatest thing ever. I I got copies we had of it. Wayne Kramer was in it. Uh, Dancing. Where Dick. they reenacted the entire Are you talking Manson about Iris Berry? murders. Yeah, yeah. They reenacted the entire Manson murders. The new newspaper article in Fumetti, <laughs> just like Punk Magazine did with uh, what was that that thing that they did with the thing on the beach with Joey and Debbie Harris? Yeah, yeah, Same yeah. kind of thing, and. Just like Legs was such a douchebag to everybody. He was so unpleasant and so miserable and just drove drove Danny Fields crazy. It's, he was there too. Well, it's just, and it's, he, it, he put himself in a position where now he's the authority about something that, that is very human and very subjective and, and it involves a lot of people. There is no, like, there's never been an accurate portrayal of the 80s no, in LA. It never has been. I'm sure that Please, Please Kill Me is not an accurate portrayal. No, it's of, reasonable. I mean, no, it makes, okay, it makes heroes out of people like like who? Rich, like who's like Richard Hell. Richard Hill Hell is a heroic figure, though. He, I mean, for I mean, five pe- minutes. I know people don't like him. You for know, five minutes, Richard, he Richard's but arrogant. Ama- but it, what a what a a, a stylus style wise, what an icon! I think people have been duplicating but Richard Hell too, looks since. The, the thing that is true because Richard Lloyd told, Lloyd told me. He was too chicken shit to wear the shirt. Oh, the please kill me shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Richard Lloyd, fuck him. I remember like the, fir- <laughs> the fir- first time, ri- first time Richard gets sober. The very first time I'm in, in New I'm, York. In New I'm, York, I'm sitting in in a department with Gail, his ex girlfriend, who said, "You can stay here, Richard, while you get well." I'm sitting there, and I said, so, "You know," because I we were playing CMJ was that week, so I yeah, stuck he, there. He was you working know. in a when I met him, he was working in one of those St. Mark's restaurants as oh, a sure. waiter. Oh yeah, and I, 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 I used to try to get jobs. Think about at those this: things. 1983, me, Flea, and Anthony are eating at this Chinese restaurant at, at, at the New Music Seminar. Right, right, right. right. That's and why, we, that's I look why up, I saw and that I was like, "Holy that's, that's fuck!" It's Richard Lloyd. And so he, then he comes back, and I said, "What is your name?" And you could tell he was like, "I don't want to. I don't want to get involved." Talk about this. It was the fucking greatest guitar player. He wrote Dan Ant, Dan Ant. Well, Verlaine wrote that lick. I think Verlaine pretty much wrote everything. But, but here's no, the but thing: he's I, the one, I, I he's asked the one that's him. Dan Ant, Dan Ant. Right. I, I <laughs> asked, so I asked Richard. I'm <laughs> sitting Tom there. Tom Verlaine is a diddle <laughs> You know where that comes from, don't you? Verlaine admits this, that... Marky Moon... 
that's Papa's got a brand new bag. That's he's oh, just trying to pull. Yeah, he's trying <laughs> to pull. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, yeah, he's <laughs> playing the James <laughs> Brown song. He's doing horns. <laughs> but, doing but brown I, so horns. So I asked Richard. I got him there, and I, this has been killing me for years. And I really want to know how do you play the riff, the lick in "See No Evil," da 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 da, which which Blue yeah. Oyster called "Stole for Burning yeah. for You," right? So he looks at me, he goes. I don't talk about that stuff anymore. And it wouldn't talk to me. I wanted to go, hey, It's man. one of the 10 greatest albums ever made. I wanted to go, look, man, I love that riff. Can you show me how to play it? I can never figure it out. It doesn't sound right. Go, I don't do that. You know, and I just and he thought, was playing in John Doe's band. It was and, the weirdest and, and, and thing ro- Rocket from the Tombs. I saw him with Rocket from the Tombs with Cheetah and Dave Thomas and uh, the other two guys, you know. It was just it was hilarious. That Red Hot Chili Peppers thing, that new music seminar in 1983, was at the Pyramid. And he the, came up and played. Well, I was at Soundcheck. I was at Soundcheck. Yeah. And one of the, was it the drummer or the lead guitar Cliff. who said, Kuz, I'm quitting. I can't stand yeah. you guys and walked off the stage. Well, he I, came back though. I thought it was the greatest thing. I just, the hatred was just, <laughs> it was so illuminating. I remember when well, I, here was the problem. When I, when I met Flea, I said, I was at that gig and I, I because I lived on 7th and B right on yeah. the corner. You know Ann Dagnella, right? Yeah, yeah, lived, yeah, yeah. I lived there at six and A with her. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So you were a block away from me, but it's it's just like I said to him. That was one of the most amazing things. It's like you guys were, yeah, f- fuck you. They leave. hated that guy. Yeah, fuck you. We hate you. Leave. Yeah, well, fuck they you. Put, I will. He put duct tape on the ground saying, "You guys can't come over. This you know, line. just let me just have four feet of stage." In the first song, he was. We were at Soundcheck, and he did this in Detroit at St. Andrews Hall, and he had. He said, "Bob, get me, get me day glow duct tape because we had." day glow everything right yeah, yeah, yeah. and i he put it down and anthony fleer was standing on the other side like what is that jack and he said i just want you to be able to see a line like i you know i need to be able to not bump into you guys when i'm playing my stuff and and so then gig comes off they count off the beat and anthony flea just ran and tackled him off the stage <laughs> and said oh we didn't see the tape oh, sorry. oh my god that's classic and oh so, it's just ridiculous it was like there was so much rancor. but their problem was that halal didn't want to sign a record deal so they had to come up with a guitar player who could really play and all the people we knew couldn't really play like that right. like Jimi hendrix right so then they were stuck oh, eddie hazel yeah yeah but 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 you're talking about like greg hudson couldn't do it <laughs> like, no of course he couldn't do it now dicks couldn't do it <laughs> no. there was only oh, like no. there was only like 10 guitar players we knew and none of them could be in the chili peppers right so then they started auditioning people and then this Jack guy, he was a studio musician, right. came in. Yeah. And he had played with Captain Beefheart and or play, something. And he ended up playing with Katie Seagal. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and, uh. and so he could play like the songs on the record and play like Hillel and play solos and stuff like that, yeah. right? And so but he was didn't know ho- what kind he, of person he was. But he was horrible. It was horrible. And the drummer was the drummer that ended up in Pearl Jam, right? Oh, that guy. was Jack. No, Jack wasn't in. That was Cliff Martinez that ended well, up doing all the soundtrack. And he was a black flag. Cliff Martinez was in The Weirdos. The but Weirdos he, and Captain uh, Irons. Cap- Irons Jack end up, Irons ended up in Pearl Jam. Yeah, he's yeah in Pearl he Jam. ended up in Pearl Jam. But you got to understand that Chili Peppers were us. Uh, uh, they were what is this without Alan singing with Anthony rapping 
And so then what is this they had had their whole lives invested in was a real band that they thought was like talking heads and like right. a real band. And the Chili Peppers were, they Jack and Hillel perceived as like just a fun thing that we do. Like a and Anthony and Flea were now seeing it's not just a fun thing that we do. Yeah, this we, is the thing that we yeah, do. Yeah, we have something. And, and we have something so, unique. So when they were going to sign the record deal, Jack and Hillel didn't sign it. So, but Cliff was a great drummer that we knew. He was in the Weirdos. He was a great drummer. He could keep up with Flea and right. play that music. But but the guitar player spot was really bad. At a certain point, we were even thinking, because I was like the manager at the time, we were even thinking of getting Bill Campbell. Do you remember the old Texas musician, Bill Campbell, who taught Stevie Ray Vaughan how to play guitar? He's like a blues guy. Yeah, he's a blues yeah. guy. Yeah. We had a meeting with him. Like It would be maybe cool to have this old like 50-year-old blues <laughs> guitar player. <laughs> Because he could play that stuff. And what did what did Bill think of this? He, we, we got drunk and went to Johnny's Steakhouse, and it just kind of just didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I... But they were in a tight spot. This is like a matter of a month. You've got to find a guitar you gotta player. you got to find somebody who'll right? do this. And the, the regular guitar player's like, I'm not going on the road with this band. Yeah, he, yeah. Qu he quit several times. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen. It was the funnest time. And but, but like I said, please... Please tell me, isn't the stories I've heard from Ann Dagnella, and I got to know Joey all right enough for him to tell me stories of how he perceived what went on. Um, like, the Ramones were the kings, but they always were kind of, he always was in all of the other bands. Yeah. Right? That's a strange thing. When you're the king, and you actually don't think you know what you're doing, and you're looking at uh television and 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 um, well, you know, richard hell's band you know, what was that called the voidoids the voidoids well you well you got no the dd auditioned for television right oh did he yeah and they said we were going to start with um de -de 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 venus de milo the first chord's a c a c okay well, on the sixth <laughs> on the sixth try hit c and they're like oh, i guess not <laughs> <laughs> you know but but so, but, but so what, please, but, please kill me. But is I was this interpretation. It's it's writers' interpretations of what went on and stories led by certain people like Richard Howe. Understood. But here's the thing that most people don't really understand is, and this is true. And because it was just a, as, and may I just finish? Just like Brendan's version of L.A. is just like it's not all. It's it's, it's Brendan's it's version. It's all Brendan. It's all the mask. The mask was like 18 months and it was over. Okay, which makes my point for me. Thank you very much. Which is that this thing was small you know at cbgb's there were in, in 1976 1977 ground zero punk rock you know yeah. never mind the bollocks comes out rocket to russia comes out marky moon yeah. comes out you know all that stuff it's like there were 500 people in and out of cbgb's at the rat there were 200 250 of us it was not Big. Yeah, that's LA, what in LA it was like a handful. Like, yeah, there was know, a people play, they would go to the mask or the Starwood or these places. You, Madame Wong's. It's like it was little. It was tiny. And what was beautiful about the smallness of it is that you could experiment and germinate on your own clock. Okay, but by the eighties, you had people. You know, after the cars and the police, Tom Petty and stuff like that. And Black Flag Bla and some... Uh, well, yeah, well, well, I mean, the you had record companies that thought, you know, you can make money off of this with yeah. the police well, and the cars. Seymour and the certainly did. Yeah, well, he, but Seymour made all of his money off Madonna. I know. Yeah. But so, she was a part of that world. 
Kinda. She was she was like a, a Broadway wannabe. She was really. a hipster I, version of a Lower East Side. But, but she was she wasn't a rock and roll musician. No, no, I know, but she was in that scene. But let yeah. me tell you what was go- what I, how I perceive L.A. There were way more. There was just a Redondo scene and a Huntington Beach scene and a Malibu scene. Believe it or not, with the surf punks, there was a Starwood scene. There was a Hollywood Boulevard scene, and it, and it all culminated in 1980 with Public Image at the Olympic Auditorium. There was fifty. 600 people there right right there was not 5600 people in new york going to see a punk rock band no but on the other hand when public image did that tour in boston they played a 2800 seater it's just because john lyden was a celebrity you know i know but think I about mean, how many people think, have, how many people bought the metal box what seventy five thousand? it didn't sell i have it right next door yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know well, one but what i'm saying is let's call up the L- other seventy four thousand nine hundred ninety nine. yeah he paid seven hundred dollars for it yeah i paid <laughs> i paid i paid 150 dollars for it but at a at a record store in santa barbara <laughs> oh why, why do i have robert palmer in my head singing which of us is the fool right now <laughs> but, and i've never listened to it it's there just you on go. the show that's awesome but don't but, touch it it's still but, got the tag on but it then when you tell the story of the neutron bomb and brendan's story it's just about the hollywood boulevard scene and just about the the, yeah, the go-go's and yeah. whatever it's not about keith and the south bay and greg and now however the greatest uh, phrase in history is in that book just so you what know is we it? got with the neutron bomb uh terry the drummer from the gun, gun club, club refers to jane weidlin as a quote wet pussied compassionate I, I had Terry and Kid on my show on a Saturday when we were KTLK up yeah. in we're up in Burbank, and I told Terry afterwards. I just said that is the greatest expression I have ever heard in my life about a groupie. You know, it's like it's it's, it's such so beautiful. Compassionate is beautiful. Yeah, the, the wet pussy beautiful too. Well, I think Pamela DeBars invented that long yeah. before Jane Weedland did. Yeah. But it's just, it was just a wonderful thing, the way it was said. It was said out of love. It wasn't said out of contempt. For no, me. I understand. But we're living in the Me Too era. I, I, I understand know. that. But <laughs> power to the people. Power so, to the pussy. <laughs> so I, I am a, always a pessimist Look, who, who knows that I'm wrong most of the time. So I'm thinking something good is so going to happen. And so I think that part of me thinks Trump is only the beginning of how bad it's going to get. But then another part of me says, maybe it will get people to become more rational. So, so I don't see a lot of signs on the left that become, people are becoming more I don't rational. Think, I don't think it's a left-right thing anymore. You know what I think is, is, the, is the sign ahead of genuine progress, he says, veering away from wet pussy compassionate, <laughs> is that you're seeing a record number of women running for office right. in 2018 this is only a po- an, an absolute positive thing and i'm not saying it's to climb on the me too bandwagon but let's, or tip, let's, let's but have some true. let's have some markers because i i talk with my politicos and there's a lot of politicos that listen to this podcast 40 is a wave 40 congressional seats is a wave if the democrats pick yeah, up 40 if, seats. if you pick up 40 then trump then the trump thing is just a blip on the radar and we're going to go back to sanity that, that's my yeah, but I, I don't I don't want to go back to quote sanity and I don't want anarchy either. I want capability that says in the United States of America we piddle away so much money on weapons procurement which we should not be doing. We have 
a horrible Byzantine sick prison system that has is it sits hand in hand with with opiate disaster. It's like this is bad. Right. Okay, we have Donald Trump. Well, you know who wants uh, prison reform? Kirshner. Pardon me. The the son-in-laws who wants prison reform. Well, yeah, and, and, and Kim Kardashian. So they they, they, they got that one the one drug dealer money launderer out. No, they did. Yeah. You know, it's more people ask me, go, you hate Trump so much. What do you think of this? I'm like, hey, commuting a sentence for somebody who's not going to commit a violent crime again is fine. Yeah, really, and it's true. And I, I and you know, my general sense is that. The most libertarian aspect of my political leanings is is on the issue of drugs. I believe in the absolute legalization of all, all recreational drugs. drugs. Right, and I think that that will, for one thing, it will end the dying. You know, if you know what you're getting, you know, if you know, okay, this thing it's that fent- I'm about to do fentanyl is has fentanyl. this much amount. Yeah. Right, I know what it's like. Proof, like liquor, has proof. You know, you know that you you drink a beer, you know, whatever. But if you drink white lightning, that's a different kind Did of you whatever. Did read the New Yorker article about fentanyl dealing? So thirty eight hundred dollars worth of pure fentanyl that you can buy from a Chinese a company, right? Thirty eight hundred dollars when diluted correctly and put into pill form is thirty million dollars in profit. Now, why the and we have like a really low IQ drug dealing population is what I figure because they're taking that. <laughs> That stuff that's worth thirty million dollars and selling it for four hundred thousand and killing people. Killing people, but keep keeping their habits afloat because remember they're not selling all of it; they're keeping some of it for themselves. I wonder, you know, that, that was just mind-boggling to me that when diluted correctly and put into pill form, it's worth thirty million dollars. Yeah, but uh, correctly and uh, you know, desperate drug well, dealers do no, not. Well, no, but in the I'm same like sense. you. Yeah, the advocation of the decriminalization of drugs makes them Portugal. all diluted. Portugal makes them all all you can trust. How's, how's life? In, how's life in Lisbon, Portugal, right now? It used to be like death central twenty years ago. Drugs are decriminalized in Portugal. Overdose rates plummeted to nothing. Second issue from our friends on the but right. But can it be? It'll probably have to be a state by state thing. I think we're going back to the state. Could so be. But California think- should decriminalize everything. If Newsom becomes governor, we're living in Valhalla, anyways. You just think. decriminalize everything. Get rid of the prison industrial complex. Let's reorganize our our, in, our educational industrial complex and really change. So let's say goodbye to Johnny. Huh. I'm sorry, sorry you just sat there and listened patiently, well, Chuck. What else do you want me to do? You guys did a great <laughs> job. It was, it was nice to be here. It was good. Yeah, it was fun. So. See you next time. Don't die in the meantime. And we're going to leave you with Johnny's song. Here we go. Well, it's 8 o'clock in Boston. And Filene's has just locked up. So good to see the stars. I thought we'd lost them It's time to fly Into the mystery I wanna go Somewhere I've never been It's time to fly Into the mystery Into the mystery Who wrote that song? 
I don't know. Jonathan Richmond write it? Correct. There you go. All right. God bless America, <laughs> baby. You. Don't die. God, I passed my Johnny Angel window quiz for the day. Don't die. Don't die. No <laughs> rules. No laws. No rules. No, no laws. laws. Don't no die. rules. Nothing. See you later. One, two, three, four.